Thank you for joining us today. If you're new to The Rock, we would love to connect with you, and you can text Rock of KC to 816-307-1611 for a Connect card, and a member of our team will be in touch with you shortly. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give safely and securely through our app and on our website at rockofkc.com. Your generous giving through The Rock supports many ministries here locally and globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Palm Sunday, all hail King Jesus. He is risen, he is Lord, and we are Easter people 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Jesus is risen, amen. Well, welcome to the Building Church. Welcome online community. Hey, I have a scripture that uh, I wanna read to you as we were worshiping and thinking about baptism. Uh, The scripture says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. There's no such thing as, uh, uh, you know, there may be secret Santas, but there's no such thing as secret Christians. There's just, uh, you know, there's no such thing. Uh, we're children of light, and we're to let our light sh- so shine before men, not in a pharisaical way of see me, notice me, look how good I am, not in that way, but in a bold way that says I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In no greater way can you confess your faith than to be water baptized. Now, we just saying all hail King Jesus. We talked about he's my provider, my protector, he's my everything. We bow our knees, we shout Hosanna. You know, we don't want to be the crowd that um, is persuaded by crowds. They, they, they shouted in Prince of Peace, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday, but then some of those very same people were persuaded by the religious people of that day to join the crowd that says, crucify him, crucify him. That's how fickle people are. And uh, so many people are crowd-sourced. And instead of having an internal conviction in their heart, this is who I am, this is what I believe, regardless of what the multitudes say, I don't care if 10 of the spies proclaim that it's too difficult to take the land, uh, I'm going to be of a different spirit. And so I want you, if you've not been baptized, my question to you, if you profess Jesus, why not? What is preventing you? from obeying him and honoring him as Lord and King and confessing him before men. And that's one of the things you have to understand, your brothers and sisters in Christ in many foreign lands, when they get baptized, many of them become ostracized by their family. Many of them are considered dead to the family. They pay a price, a high price. And uh, a lot of things in America, we let embarrassment or what other people might think. And well, guess what? Then you're letting that Stand above God. And so I want to encourage you, if you've not been water baptized, you have five different opportunities next weekend, beginning Friday night with Good Friday Communion worship service, all the way through the four services, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. You have an opportunity to confess Christ before men, and I'm going to encourage you, don't put it off any longer. Let your loyalty and your allegiance and the one that you claim to be your Lord and Savior come on out of your closet If the world can be bold about coming out with their sin, how come we can't be bold in coming out in our faith for Jesus? Amen.
Okay. That's, that's sermon number one. Are y'all ready to get into the Word some more? You ready for that Word to get into you? Get all up in your business? Renew your mind? Wash over you? Bring conviction? Bring encouragement? Exhortation? Admonition? It's a living Word. It's an active Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and intents of our heart. It's, it, it separates, Lord, the, the wheat from the chaff. It separates the holy from the profane. And we pray for this word to come alive in us now. God, we're not here to be uh, forgetful hearers. We're here to lean in. We're here, God, to open our hearts and our minds to the teaching and preaching of your word so that it may produce fruit in us and that fruit would remain and we would so prove to be your disciples and glorify you, our Father in heaven. Lord, we know we need grace. We need faith. And so we pray for, for more, more, God, more, more obedience, more revelation, more understanding, God, that we may walk in your ways and bring great pleasure to your heart. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. All right, believe it or not, we are... In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, and uh, by the grace of God, we'll do it in four weeks. I know some doubted. I forgive you for doubting. <laughs> what a rich book it is. Uh, the Word of God is rich, and it's full of revelation, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's our food, it's our bread, and it instructs us and teaches us in the ways of Jesus. And... Um, Paul writing from prison, these are prison epistles. Things weren't going well for him. Things were uh, not as he planned, but he didn't let his circumstances determine the joy that he would have in his life. See, Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had memorized a big portion of the Old Testament, uh, which qualified him to be a Pharisee. And he understood the importance of joy. He knew the scriptures that the joy of the Lord is my strength. He knew that in the presence of the Lord, there was fullness of joy. And so when Paul talked about joy, he wasn't talking about this serpy optimism. He was talking about the very presence of God in his life. He understood that the Holy Spirit produces joy in our life and that joy is not circumstantial, but joy is internal and it's rooted in the very presence of God. And that when we're getting out from the presence of God is when we move into anxiety and worry. When we move into um, all these other things that are not of God. Because we're coming out of the presence of God. He let joy uh, in his life be an indicator of how close he was to the Lord. And that joy was an internal strength. Though he had sorrow, though he wept and he would weep with those who weeped. He never let that joy get quenched in his life. And so... This is the, his, his epistle of joy. And, and a lot of that joy was brought on by the Philippians because they partnered with him in the gospel. They were his joy and crown. In fact, let's look at it in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. Hey, listen, let's not forget about eternal things. All of your stuff all your stuff, red dot stuff, doesn't cross over into eternity. I mean, as much pleasure as those things can provide and enjoyment they can provide, Paul says, my joy is people. People. People matter. 
God matters, people matter. He says, you're my joy. Church, you're my joy. And he says, and my crown. So because of that, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Beloved, I love that term. It's, it's a term of endearment. You're my beloved. My beloved is mine. And so, Song of Solomon talks about it. You're my beloved and my beloved is mine. Uh, you know, in order to be loved, you have to be loved. How many of you know some people that don't want to be loved? I don't want you to love me. <laughs> it's like, no, nah, come on, beloved. Be loved so that you can go love. Be loved so that you can go loved. He links this first verse here with what he wrote before in Philippians 3.21 because of the resurrection. Daniel, I need you to stand fast in the Lord because there's a resurrection coming. Don't lose sight of the resurrection. Don't let your temporary circumstances, your jail cell, your persecution or whatever it might be, don't let it don't lose sight. Stand fast knowing that this is not the end. There's a resurrection coming. So whether, it, so whether I live or whether I die, which we've learned about in the other chapters, I live for Christ or I die for Christ. I, I win. You win. Don't lose sight of this. And Paul used the ancient Greek word, for crown that described the crown given to an athlete who had won the race. In other words, the people he led to Christ, the church that he had founded on his second missionary journey, the first church in Europe, the Philippian church, these people who loved God and loved Paul and labored for the gospel. He said, you're the crown. And we must not forget, buildings aren't our crown. Multiple campuses or whatever else that we want to measure, whatever metric... These chairs are not our crown. The people who sit in them, the people who have given their life to Christ, you are the crown. Come on now. And, and it's, it's not, it's a crown of achievement. Uh, it's not the crown that was given to a king, which is diadema. It's a different crown. And we must never forget and that the success of any church is not how much money's come in, not how many buildings they build. Not how many plaques are on a wall. It's in the lives of people who've encountered Christ and they've been changed. That's it. That's it. How do you measure it? You don't measure it by the number of people in the room, but how many people in the room have encountered Jesus and have their lives radically transformed and changed who have been born again. That's the real. That is it, folks. That is it. And then he goes in verse 2. He gets real practical here. I implore you, Doia, and I implore sanctity to be of the same mind in the Lord. You've got to be careful how you read Scripture sometimes. You'll start speaking in tongues and you don't even believe in it. He <laughs> said, so be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. You see the endearment here whose names are in the book of life. Partnerships in the gospel matter. People who understand eternity matters. 
who labor, who give, who serve and say, we, look, yeah, it's good. We've got community, we got love, we got support, but there's something greater here. We create a space and place for people to come to Christ whose names can be written in the book of life too. Now, these two women, apparently, there was some quarrel that had arisen. They weren't getting along. And so Paul wrote, not, he didn't solve the problem. He didn't try to solve the problem. He didn't go into arbitration. What, what did he do? He simply, was, he didn't take sides. He says, guys, you've forgotten Christ. Something's happened and you've forgotten the purpose for which you have been called together to work. It's not about the color of the carpet. It's not about what committee doesn't want this to happen and want that to happen. It doesn't, it's not about your favorite table getting moved around. It's not that your hymnals have been taken away. It's not that, you know, it's, well, it's Palm Sunday. You've got to preach a sermon on, on Hosanna and you've got to get palm branches and you've got to get a camel and a donkey and it's because it's tradition, tradition. No, people. We don't worship our tradition. We worship the living God. And Paul had to write to these ladies and say, guys, get along. Don't let the little foxes spoil the vine of the purpose for which you are laboring. Now, that would never happen to the 21st century church. But in case it might, here's how Paul would say, handle this. Remember your mind of Christ. You've drifted from it. You've gotten off into the weeds of things that don't matter in eternity. Now get back to the purpose. Now, I got a question for you. If your whole life was summed up in one verse, would you rather be Clement or Eudoia and Sanctity? I was known for my quarrel. I was known for my not able, being able to get along with the stuff that really mattered. Or would you rather be Clement, faithful companion, fellow worker, whose name's in the book of life? Just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, let's just get along. Come on, some marriages just got healed. <laughs> some marriages just got healed. Praise be to God. See, lungs told us we're just one moment away from a miracle. Just one moment away from a miracle. And then he moves in to this, this theme of this book. Joy no matter what. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. It means to rejoy. In other words, reorient yourself to the presence of God. Is your joy missing? Reorient yourself to the presence of God. Reorient yourself to the truth of God, to the promises of God. 
and keep reorienting the, until the joy comes, until that peace that surpasses understanding comes, until that assurance comes. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Paul's, Paul's joy wasn't based in a sunny optimism or a positive mental attitude as much as it was the confidence that God was in control. It really was a joy in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Do it over and over again. This is what he's saying. And then he goes, verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Listen, how you treat people matters to God. How you treat people matters to God. The Lord is at hand. Listen, you can't be one, one way on the platform and be dismissive and arrogant and treat people like they're little slaves after you walk off the platform. And unfortunately, too many ministries are characterized by that. And it's not godly. It's not godly at all. And listen, the, build, the world doesn't care what you and I do here in this building. It does not care what you and I do. You can, you can worship Jesus. You can lift your hands. You can make all manners of confessions that you want. But what matters is how you treat them when you walk out of this building. That's the Christ they taste and see. Not the one that you proclaim is right here, right now. But the one they experience. That's reality. And Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men because the Lord's at hand. You see, Jesus showed gentleness with the woman who was taken in adultery. Did he or did he not? Did he or did he not? He, a woman was brought to him by the religious leaders who was, according to the law, was, should be stoned. And they set him up. They set a trap for him as to what, how he would respond. And what did he do? I mean, he could have, he could have just plowed those boys under, <laughs> couldn't he? He could have just, look, I'm the word of God. I know how to interpret it. Like I am the living word of God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So if you boys think you know the word, I, listen, I am the word. Like when he was a child and he stood up in the temple and he opened up the book. That's amazing. Now the word was interpreting the word for the boys. Because it was a boys club then. And so they came and so he could have plowed them under. But instead, what does he do? He stoops down and he begins to write in the sand, write in the ground. And then one by one from the oldest to the youngest, and the, the oldest are usually the wisest, and the young still think they know it all. <laughs> and he finally got to that point, and the youngest one even dropped his stone and walked away, and then he turned in gentleness and said to the woman that was caught in adultery, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you, but go and sin no more, lest something worse befall you. Now see, Jesus gave grace, mercy, but also warning Jesus will never tell you that you can remain in your sin and you'll be okay. He'll never do that. 
People will. Churches will, but Jesus won't because he knows how destructive sin is. Let your gentleness be known to all. See, as an amen. As a baby saying amen. So what does this gentleness mean? It means it describes the heart of a person who will let the Lord fight his battles. Describes a person who's really free to let go of his anxieties and all the things that cause him stress because he knows that the Lord will take up his cause. We know that Jesus will settle every wrong at his return and we can trust him to make things right in our falling apart world. And he moves into this famous passage of scripture. Be anxious for nothing. Does it really say nothing? Let me give you the Greek for nothing. No thing. <laughs> Be anxious for no thing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, some translate by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to where? To God. Let them be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is a command, not an option. The, the command to not be anxious is a command, not an option. And to pray is a command. Anxiety is a real joy killer. The ultimate thief of joy it wants to rule our life. Anxiety wants to rule your life. It's, anxiety is, is a pull between hope and fear. Anxiety plays out in our worry. Anxiety, anxiety is the spot where we're not, where we're mistrusting God. Do you hear that? Not that you're not trying, but you're mistrusting him. At the point of anxiety, at the spot of anxiety is really where we're mistrusting God. We worry about health, finances, relationships. There are a multitude of fears and worries people have. Worry can rule our life. Worry cannot change a thing, but it can negatively affect our lives, our health, and open the door to great devastation. That's the truth about worry. Do you know, like worry will not change anything. Do you understand that? It won't change a thing, but yet we still do it, which is crazy to think about. Listen, the reasons for anxiety are not going away in a fallen world. Alert, alert. <laughs> the reasons for anxiety are not going away. So what do we do? Well, we can realize this, but we don't have to let them rule our life. Jesus addressed this issue of worry. And the, worry, worry, the Greek word for worry means to be divided. It means to be divided. 
It's like, yes, I trust God, but things are really bad. And yes, I trust God, things are really bad. And I can't go much further than this, so <laughs> I am not going to even try. And it's like, and that's what it does. It pulls you apart. It divides you. And he's saying, don't be divided in my love. Don't be divided in my security. Don't be divided in, in believing that I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'm with you to the end. See, don't be divided about this. Stand in this place of faith and confession. Hold fast your confession of faith without wavering. Stand your ground in faith, in love, and hope. Don't be divided about this. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. And he says this in verse 12 of Luke chapter 12, uh, 12, chapter 12 verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow, sow nor reap. See what I did there? I said snow, because I went to the inn. I have a little dyslexia. Anyway, moving right along. I think it's amazing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit or about 18 inches to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which is today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So listen, don't let anxiety and worry control your life. Get into the presence of God. Get your mind renewed. Get people to speak truth and love to you until the victory comes and the stronghold's broken. And then he moves into instruction. Okay, so how do we combat this anxiety and worry? Pray about everything. That's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to God about everything. There is no area of our lives that are not of concern to God. So talk about all of it pray God I'm concerned about this then he says cast your cares upon me I care for you give it to me give it to me give it to me pray about everything everything pray about everything and then he says pray with supplication or petition it's a humble and sincere request Lord I need help with my children Lord I need favor in their eyes Lord I need wisdom on how to instruct them God I need your timing on when to speak to them come on now he's just going to petition God God I'm going into this meeting and I need some grace I need some wisdom God I'm wanting to make this business decision do I sell my business now or and do I buy this one and God I'm just going to pray about it all I I petition you for your guidance. I petition you for your wisdom. I petition you, God, to put me in the right place at the right time with the right information, with the right people, that I might carry out your will for my life and your purpose in the earth. Come on now. You just pray about it all. You pray and you petition heaven. 
Come on. This is, we don't make it complicated. We don't have to say, well, you have to do it for 10 minutes every day or five. No, all the time. Pray without ceasing. I mean, throughout your day, God, I need wisdom. God, I need grace. God, you need to move some of these people off the road right now. Come on now, whatever. <laughs> See, seriously, you just like, you're praying. You're constantly saying, God, I need you. I want your wisdom. I need your counsel. I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I need your favor. God, I need you to set a guard over my mouth and watch over the door of my lips because I'm about ready to say something I don't want to say or I want to say, but I shouldn't say. And I don't want to live in regret. So God, help. I petition heaven to come to earth right here, right now. And then he says, pray with thanksgiving. Why, why with thanksgiving? Because this guards against a whining, complaining spirit before God. God, I thank you. I thank you that you've heard me. Thank you that all things are going to work together for good. Thank you that, God, my timing is not always your timing, so I trust you. I, I trust that you're, you're watching over this. I trust that if I'm praying amiss that you'll, you'll dismiss this prayer. Come on. Come on. Did you just hear that? God, I'm praying that, that if I'm praying amiss, then you'll dismiss this prayer. I, pr I thank you, God. I thank you that you've heard me. I thank you that you've, you, you know my concerns and my thoughts and even the things I haven't prayed about that I probably should have prayed about. You know it all anyway. So, God, I put my trust in you. Your sovereignty rules over all. And I thank you that you're a good, good father. Come on. And what happens? What's the result of walking this out? He says, the result is peace from God, peace with God, and the peace of God. This peace surpasses understanding. It's something that you and I must experience. People say, well, I've never experienced that before. Well, then get into the presence of God. Get in there and don't get up until, until it comes. The Bible says this peace guards our hearts and our minds. Boy, we need guarded hearts and minds. You know that that's a military term? That word guard is a military term? In other words, let peace be the sentry that sets guard over your heart and your mind. Let peace be the sentry that sets guard over your heart, over your heart and over your mind. The peace of God is my guard, my sentry, and the peace of God wants to rule and reign. And say, look, you don't belong here. Your anxiety, you got to go. You don't get past me. Your worry, you don't go. The peace of God rules my life. You're not going to rule my life. Do you understand? This is what God wants to do. He wants to be the sentry, this peace of God, this shalom, this wholeness, this soundness, this ability to say, if God be for me, who's against me? Why would you come knocking on my door? I already have no solicitation here. And, and you know what? I'm going to blast you with the word right now. I'm going to get out my peacemaker and blast you. It's called the sword of the spirit, the word of God. I'm going to cut your tongue off. And if you don't, if you still try to talk with your tongue cut off, I'm going to slash your head off like David did with Goliath with his own sword. But I got the sword of the spirit, see. Some of us placate too much nonsense. And you got to get ruthless. you got to let the peace of God. He said, well, it's a peace. Yeah, but he's a military person too. He didn't put up with stuff. Jesus rebuked Peter to his face when he was talking like the devil. And we want to treat, you know, all this sin and all this nonsense like it's some little pet. Oh, you didn't mean to bite me, serpent. 
Oh, little kitty, you didn't mean to claw me. Their sin nature did. <laughs> you knew I'd sneak that one in there. So then, then Paul gives instruction now. This is how you combat it. And here's where your mind needs to go. Here needs, here's where your mindset needs to be. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, re, uh, like a cow, cow chews its cud. You don't know, they chew their cud. They just, they have different stomachs. Like they have two or three stomachs in their body and they'll just put food in it and actually I've watched these things where they can actually find out how well they're digesting their food and stuff or they can actually cut a hole in the side of a, of a cow it's kind of like a little lid it's kind of like when you you know have part of your skull taken out so they can if your brain's swelling and then they can just plug it back up you ought to go YouTube that then they reach in and they bring the stuff out and examine it. It's like just over and over again, the promises of God, the truth of God, meditate on whatever's lovely, whatever's good, whatever has virtue. Come on now. You don't need to get into the Greek to understand that. It's pretty plain and pretty simple. Is it just? Is it praiseworthy? Is it true? Is it lovely? Think on these things. Think on these things. You know, and, but what do we, the world wants you to meditate again and again on how bad it is and how worse it's going to get. And we're on and on and on and on and on. And they just want to bring more and more anxiety, more and more fear. And when, when the war doesn't bother you anymore, then they'll bring back, okay, a variant's coming again, guys. Variant's coming again. We got to get you more into fear. Variant's coming again. And then, and then when that's not it, then they'll bring up something else. And why? Because they want to keep you stirred up. They want to distract you while they play their games behind the scenes. They want to go, oh, look, here's bad stuff over here. And over here, they're making all these laws and these rules. That's it. God says, meditate on these things, the pure, the just, the lovely. Stay alert, stay sober. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. These things do. It's what you move from meditation to doing. You move from meditation to doing. And, and then that's why a lot of stuff, why we're not receiving the peace, because we're not doing the things. We're just thinking the things. We're just acquiescing to the things, but we're not doing the things. It's both and. When Jesus taught about washing feet, when he said, take up your towel and serve, he said, do these and you'll be blessed. But we think if we study them, we'll be blessed. Or if we just know about them, we'll be blessed. Or if we just hear about them. No, it's in the doing. Come on. It's both and. And then he says, the God of peace will be with you. Think about the right things. Be around the right people and do these things and the God of peace will be with you. Some of you are not living in peace because you're not around the right people. You're not, you're not following godly examples. And yet you want all the benefit and the results of godliness, but you won't be around godly people. <laughs> See, you and I must make the joy decision every day. When you make the joy decision, it means I'm going to live in the presence of God. I'm going to live from the presence of God. I'm going to go forth from the presence of God. I want to be said of me that it 
that it was said of the disciples of the old, it, it was apparent they'd been with Jesus. And the reason that some of us can't say that is because we haven't been. We've been, we've been with worry. We've been with anxiety. We've been with ungodliness. We've been with selfishness. We've been with conceit. We're just camped up with it. And God says, I want you to camp up with me. I want you to hide in the tabernacle in my presence and I'll change you. I'll transform you. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll give you wisdom beyond your years. I'll give you favor that you've never heard of or seen before. I'll show you what I can do for you. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. And let's become tandem partners together in this thing called life that you might be the fragrant aroma of Christ and extend his kingdom in the earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes, verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you remember, have memorized that verse? Well, I had, when I first became a Christian, I wrote that on every, I, I wrote that over my philosophy course. <laughs> at a secular university. I wrote that over a lot of things. But, but in the context, Paul is talking about, listen, I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I know what it's like to be beaten twice, 39 times, stripes. I know what it's like to, to people want to stone me to death and have to sneak out of a city for my life. Listen, I can, I'm in prison right now, and I've learned to abound. I've learned to be content. And a lot of us claim that Philippians 4 for any little whim that we think we should have. And that's not really the context of that. Remember, sometimes we do pray amiss. And I, I'm going to tell you, you don't want God to answer the prayers that you pray amiss. Because the very thing that you fight for and you demand may be the very thing that you're undoing. It's really best to want what God wants for you. It's really best for you not to want what God doesn't want for you. It really is. You see, joy comes from contentment and through Christ who strengthens. Do you want real joy? Become content. Just learn contentment. Learn it. Hey, love it when it abounds. Love God when things are a little tough. Love him because he's the one that gives me strength. That's what Paul's saying. He's writing it from prison, people. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. Here he's commending them on their partnership in the gospel and their willingness to help him in a physical, tangible way to meet practical needs that he had. 
And he goes, when you give joyfully, when you give cheerfully, when you give not begrudgingly, it's a sweet smelling aroma. And listen, guys, I'm not seeking the gift as much as I'm seeking that you get it in the right account. See, when you're not giving, when you're not giving, you're not filling up your account, your heavenly account. And Paul understood that. Lung's already told us God doesn't need our money, but he's trying to get our heart. And he knows how much of our life is tied to our stuff. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And Paul says, when you give, when you support ministry, when you give it joyfully and cheerfully and not reluctantly, it becomes a sweet smelling aroma to God. And it's a credit to your account in heaven where neither moth nor rust or any thief can break in and steal. And then he says this, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. See, that's why we say turn and greet one another. And I want you to greet St. Philip. So I just greeted a saint. Greet the saints. Greet the saints. Greet every saint in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. See, Paul's imprisonment enabled him to reach the whole Praetorian Guard and people from Caesar's household end up getting saved. And now they say, greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Wow. Stand with you if you would, please. Do you know that Paul didn't say this last thing just to fill up space? If you go look and study Paul's epistles, almost every time he, he doesn't get one or two verses in that he doesn't say grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends it with grace because he knows we need grace. Greet the saints. Greet one another. And by the way, grace to you, Daniel. I'm picking on you. You sit on the front row. You get picked on. I've had people tell me, I'm not sitting on the front row. He'll, he'll call me out. He'll pick on me. I don't like that. I don't like it. Okay. But Daniel's my friend. And Daniel, my brother. Sounds like Elton John's song. All right. Uh, grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you the favor of God to you, to be all that you've been called to be, to do all that you've been called to do. Grace to hear his voice, grace to walk in his wisdom, grace to fear him, grace to find favor in the eyes of God and man, grace to fulfill your calling, grace to stand, grace to respond in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in love and mercy and 
grace for your gentleness to be known to all men because God is at hand. See, we need grace. And this is what he said. Greet the saints and grace to you all. Give grace and space to, to everyone. Be the salt, be the light, Philippian church, rock of KC. So let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven on the day of visitation. There are people who may not know what it means to follow Jesus, but they can follow your life and know what it means to follow Jesus. These things that you've seen in me and you've heard in me, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. It's a good word, isn't it? The word of God is rich, isn't it? It's so good. Let's pray. Oh, Father, God of all peace, come and fill us now. Just lift your hand if that's what you receive. Say, Lord, I receive this word. I receive your word. I lift my hand. I yield to you. I surrender to you, God. Maybe you've never fully surrendered your heart to Jesus. Do it right here, right now. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to say the sinner's prayer. You just open your heart to God and say, Jesus, come in and change me. He'll come. He's not, he's not relegated to a formula. He's looking for the response of your heart. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, come and let your peace guard me. Stand. Just allow the peace of God. Just allow him to come and stand as sentry over your heart and mind especially those of you that are just given to worry and given to anxiety and fear. Come on, it's not from God. It's time. It's time that you let the peace of God rise up in a military fashion and say, enough's enough. You're not going to take over my life anymore. You're not going to take over my life now. May the peace of God, the grace of God, the presence of God be with you and go with you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give him honor. Give him glory. Give him praise. Oh.